0: from the newsroom of The Washington Post.
1: Hello, hey, Here's the from The Washington Post. Hi,
0: this is Beth Reinhardt at The Washington Post. It's Lori Aritani over at The Post. I'm... This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, February 23rd. Today, the future of damage control at the Justice Department, and a new push to give pandemic loans to small businesses.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, and members of the Judiciary Committee. I am honored to appear before you today as the president's nominee to be the attorney general.
2: This week, Merrick Garland, President Biden's nominee to become the attorney general, is testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee seeking to convince lawmakers that he is up to the task of being the highest ranking law enforcement official in the U.S. government. I'm Matt Zapatowski. I'm a national security reporter
1: for the Post. If I am confirmed as Attorney General, it will be the culmination of a career I have dedicated to ensuring that the laws of our country are fairly and faithfully enforced and the rights of all Americans are protected.
0: Many of us remember Merrick Garland because he was Obama's nominee in 2016 for the Supreme Court seat that he was never able to actually fill. But why did President Biden choose him for this job as attorney general?
2: The primary reason he was chosen, I have to say, is because President Biden thought that he could restore the Justice Department's credibility, which he and other Democrats really felt was eroded under President Trump and Bill Barr and Jeff Sessions as they, particularly Barr, sort of got involved in criminal cases involving the president's friends. Garland was kind of seen as a guy who would restore norms. He was a high-ranking Justice Department official in the mid-90s. After that, he served as a federal appeals court judge for a long time and really had a reputation of someone who's just a centrist, who's a deal maker, who really isn't himself controversial.
1: In conversations that I have had with many of you before this hearing, you have asked why I would agree to leave a lifetime appointment as a judge. I have told you that I love being a judge, but I have also told you that this is an important moment for me to step forward because of my deep respect for the Department of Justice and for its critical role of ensuring the rule of law.
2: Another reason his sort of selection became prescient is that he has significant experience with domestic terrorism on January 6th, which is after Joe Biden had made the decision about who he was selecting. It sort of
1: changed what the Justice Department is going to be focused on. If confirmed, I will supervise the prosecution of white supremacists and others who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. A heinous attack that sought to disrupt a cornerstone of our democracy the peaceful transfer of power to a newly elected government. And
2: Merrick Garland sort of became the perfect guy. This is a guy who supervised the prosecution of the Oklahoma City bomber, who supervised the investigation of the Unabomber. He knows domestic terrorism. He has talked repeatedly about how this has defined his life and career. And, you know, he's sort of the man for this moment. Now, a part of that was fortuitous, but... President Biden was really concerned about white supremacy. You know, he said he got into the presidential race watching the events in Charlottesville. And Merrick Garland's experience in those areas, I think, was really appealing to President Biden and those around him.
0: So tell me about how Garland is selling himself to the Senate Judiciary Committee and how he believes he would perform as attorney general.
2: You know, he's selling himself in the same way he just dealt with cases when he was on the bench and he deals with people. He's just a low-key, modest guy. He's not answering a lot of tough questions, but he has good reason sort of not to. He's a sitting federal judge, so he's declined to wade into kind of legal controversies that he might have to decide on if for some reason he was to be denied the attorney general job, though that seems very unlikely. He won't talk about ongoing cases cases in a way that you would expect, but some attorneys general have offered some commitments on ongoing cases. And he's just kind of very low-key, not getting worked up really ever, answering lawmakers' questions. I mean, it's not a hard sell. He's not trying to sell himself as some sort of liberal. It's clear that his Justice Department will look a lot more like Eric Holder's than Jeff Sessions. But he's also not trying to sell himself as a an extremely zealous reformer by any stretch. And he's not offering any controversial commitments that would upset Democrats and hearten Republicans Or vice versa. You know, he's he's sort of just playing it right down the middle.
0: Can you just walk me through a few of these questions that he was asked that he didn't really provide an answer to?
2: Yeah, I think there are... The Justice Department now is conducting a number of high-profile, sensitive political investigations. And he was asked specifically about two. One is this investigation being run by John Durham.
3: With respect to Special Counsel Durham's investigation... I expect that he will be allowed to complete his investigation. Uh, If confirmed, will you commit to providing special counsel, Durham, with the staff, resources, funds, and time needed to thoroughly complete the investigation?
2: He was appointed as a special counsel by Bill Barr, and he's kind of re-examining the FBI's 2016 investigation of the Trump campaign. His investigation has been going on for quite a long time now. He's charged one single person, a low-level FBI lawyer. The exact status of the case is a mystery, but Republicans really wanted from Garland a commitment that he would provide Durham the time, the resources to finish his work, and also a commitment to maybe release whatever he finds publicly, as we saw with the Mueller report.
3: If confirmed, would you commit to publicly releasing special counsel Durham's report, just like Mueller report was made public?
1: So, Senator, I am a great believer in transparency. Um, I would, though, have to talk with Mr. Durham and and understand uh, the nature of uh, what he's been doing and the nature of the report. And we saw Democrats similarly press then Attorney General nominee Bill Barr for
2: similar commitments on Robert Mueller. Garland is not giving those. You know, he's saying that he sees no reason that Durham's work shouldn't continue, but he's not saying, yes, I guarantee Durham will be allowed to finish. And then similarly, there's an investigation being run by a different US attorney into Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, on that. Garland hasn't been pressed as much, but similarly has said Look, I see no reason that that U.S. attorney should be removed. The Justice Department has decided to keep him in place, but he's not offering any firm commitments, which is what some Republicans want on that.
0: So it seems like a big part of this job, or at least how President Biden thinks about this job, is to move away from that politicization of the Justice Department and that in some ways Garland and even the fact that he's not answering questions that that embodies his kind of lack of desire to be seen as political. But of course, he's also being nominated to execute some of the goals that Biden wants to have happen. So what are the things that that we expect from Garland and from Biden in terms of how the Department of Justice will act moving forward? Yeah, he
2: is. And I, I think I mentioned earlier that this that Garland's Justice Department seems like it's gonna be a lot more like Eric Holder's Justice Department. And he signaled that on some policy questions. And and those are different from law enforcement investigation questions, right? So President Trump's Justice Department came under a lot of criticism for in criminal cases taking steps that benefited allies of president trump that's a little different than implementing broad policies that president trump would want so on those broad policy questions we're starting to get you know just the outlines of what garland might do so he's asked a lot about the death penalty he similarly doesn't offer any firm commitments but he does say look it's not unlikely that we would return to the policy that existed in the obama administration In the obama administration The Justice Department would seek the death penalty against suspects, but they had a sort of de facto moratorium while they reviewed the processes to actually implement the death penalty. So they would get death sentences, but no one was executed. Trump, of course, undid that and began executing people again. On just charging suspects generally, Garland has signaled that he's not going to always charge the max offense. He's going to give prosecutors discretion so they can avoid mandatory minimum sentences or harsh penalties if they want to. there are other topics like that on marijuana and enforcement of marijuana law in states where it's legal. He signaled he's open to this previous Obama-era policy of the Justice Department not doing that. So on a number of topics like that, he's signaling his Justice Department is going to be a little more progressive.
0: But of course, Going into the election last November, the big issue that was on so many people's minds was criminal justice reform and not kind of like tiny reforms around the edges, but real profound change in how this country thinks about prosecution and incarceration. And do we have an indication that Merrick Garland is like equipped to do that or that the Biden administration is equipped to do that?
2: So he is not the kind of radical, progressive reformer that some people might like. And take, for example, his answer on the charging policy. He says he wants to give prosecutors discretion. Okay, that would certainly be welcomed by those on the left who don't want to see prosecutors always charge people with the hardest charge that they can. But I think also a lot of people on the left would want the reform to go even farther and for prosecutors' hands to be tied in some respect. So they, Cannot charge mandatory minimum mm. sentences unless certain factors are met. You know, on the question of defunding the police, Merrick Garland said explicitly on Monday. He opposes that, and he noted that Joe Biden, too, opposes that. So if there were people out there thinking this is an attorney general who is really going to come down hard on the police, he's not that guy. He has the endorsement of of prominent law enforcement groups, too. He did say, though, he's going to bring the department back to these big pattern of practice investigations, you know, looking at policing systems and getting courts involved in mandating reforms at police departments. So that would be, um, you know, I assume, welcomed. So the short answer to your question, is he maybe is not as far left as some people would want him to be. But when you're comparing him to someone like a Jeff Sessions or a Bill Barr, he sort of feels that way, right? Like these are dramatic changes, Hmm. some of which Republicans oppose. um, And, you know, he's willing to go there. He's just not willing to go, at least from what we know so far, he's not in the job yet, but he's not willing to go that sort of extra
0: step. And then what about the issue of domestic terrorism? the Department of Justice role in thinking about what right-wing extremism looks like in the future, how it's prosecuted. Obviously, that has more urgency now than perhaps ever, at least in the last couple of decades. Did Garland talk at all about what his vision is for that?
2: Yeah. So to me, that was like the defining thing of the hearing. It was so clear that Merrick Garland's attorney generalship is going to be shaped by the January 6th attack at the Capitol. He prosecuted the Oklahoma City bomber who killed 168 people in the bombing of a federal building. And he says the situation now is even more dire than that. This is going to be priority number one for him. He said the first briefing he's going to get when he comes into the department is on the January 6th attack. And it's not just going to be limited to that, right? Then he's going to look at that investigation, see how that needs to build out to get at people, not just in the Capitol, but who might've planned or organized what happened. And then go even farther to just look at white supremacy and how it's rooted in the country and what the Justice Department can do to stop that. He's not in the department yet. So again, we don't have a ton of specifics, but this, the January 6th attack at the Capitol, and then sort of the broader problem of domestic terrorism on white supremacy is clearly priority number one for Merrick Garland, and it's going to define him as attorney general.
0: It's interesting because what you're describing seems that in many ways, Merrick Garland is trying to be an apolitical attorney general, that he doesn't want to be seen as executing the president's will when it comes to political investigations, that he doesn't want to kind of step too far to the left or to the right when it comes to changing how we think about policing and some of the big questions on criminal justice that are facing this country. But I'm wondering if you think he is going to be able to be successful in being apolitical, that in some ways it feels like the country has come too far to just accept that the attorney general isn't going to be the head of a politicized department.
2: I mean, it's a great question, and I'd be lying if I said that I knew the answer. You know, That is definitely his goal, to be the apolitical head of a fairly apolitical department. But the department has to institute some policy goals, and some of what he described on the death penalty, on consent decrees mandating reforms at police departments— Republicans don't like those things. They're going to say those policy things are the Justice Department being political and veering to the left. You know, if the Durham investigation doesn't produce the kind of results Republicans want it to see, if Hunter Biden isn't charged or is offered some settlement because we understand he's under investigation in a tax case, and those often result in settlements, I think you're naturally going to see some Republicans say, well, the fix was in this was this was President Biden's son. On the flip side, I think you have Democrats who are clamoring to see President Trump charged or allies of President Trump charged like Rudy Giuliani, if those and there I don't think there is a case in, involving President Trump now, but if the Giuliani case goes nowhere, if the Justice Department doesn't take steps you know to investigate or prosecute Trump related to the January 6 riots, will Democrats be unhappy And you know will you see the same sort of political anger, that we've seen these past four years. I think every attorney general, even Bill Barr, probably wished the department was out of politics, that there weren't political pressures, but there are always going to be political pressures. And we'll see, is Merrick Garland the man who can truly, like, insulate the walls and hmm. keep that out? Or is it sort of in there now? And there's there's sort of no extricating it. You know, from all sides, there's going to be pressure to, to achieve political ends and I just don't know how successful he can be at that, but but that is certainly his stated goal.
0: Matt Sapatosky covers the Justice Department for The Post. One more thing from business reporter Aaron Gregg about a new change in coronavirus relief that President Biden announced on Monday.
3: Today, I'm announcing additional changes to the PPP program that will make sure we look out for the mom-and-pop business even more than we already have.
4: President Biden has taken a number of steps to try to pivot the Paycheck Protection Program Small Business Bailout Fund so that it really targets the smallest of the small businesses.
3: These changes will bring much needed long overdue to help to small businesses who really need help staying open.
4: What Biden is doing is saying that for the next two weeks... You can't get any money from that program if you have more than 20 employees. That's a huge departure from how the previous administration handled this program.
3: Following around-the-clock negotiations yesterday, the Senate answered my call to replenish the Paycheck Protection Program so that millions of additional American workers can keep getting a paycheck.
4: The PPP program was created in April of last year as a way to pay American businesses to keep their employees on payroll during pandemic-inflicted closures. We provided nearly $350 billion, and it went at record speed. It was only ever envisioned as a temporary bridge, but as the crisis has gone on, it's been renewed several times as it became one of the bailout programs that really did keep people employed.
3: It's really uh, been an incredible Incredible success. I want to thank the banks with the big banks, the little
4: banks. However, there were also a lot of businesses that were really larger and closer to that 500 employee cap or otherwise wealthy that basically saw this as an opportunity to get yet another financial windfall.
2: The small business disaster loans and the payment protection program are now out of money. And there has been outrage that several large chains
0: have received millions.
4: You had massive fast food franchises such as Sonic taking tons and tons of PPP loans for their franchisees.
0: Ruth's Chris
2: Steakhouse got $20 million. Shake Shack got $10 million, which it now plans to return.
4: An exotic cruise line and took a PPP loan and then later returned it after it blew up in the media.
1: I think it was inappropriate for most of these companies to take the loans.
4: You had an NBA team, the LA Lakers, take a PPP loan.
1: I'm a big fan of the team, but I'm not a big fan of the fact that they took a $4.6 million loan.
4: There were basically no rules here, and that meant that anybody who needed a loan, as long as they were below this 500-employee cap, could get one.
0: So then how will things start to be different as a result of these changes that Biden is putting in place?
4: So the first change is that if you have more than 20 employees, you're not eligible for the next two weeks. What they want to do is make sure that every bank that's participating in this program is really going all out to try to find these tiny mom and pop shops who may not even have any banking relationship or uh, even a bank account with a regular bank. In some cases, these are small businesses which are kind of off the grid. Um, The goal of the Biden administration right now is to try to incentivize these banks to go out, find those businesses, and issue loans to them, while at the same time ensuring that the big guys, people who have these insider track at these large uh, banking centers, uh, are not hoovering up funds meant for smaller companies.
3: We're also making it easier for those one-person businesses, like the home repair contractors, beauticians, small independent retailers.
4: There's been some new requirements around data collection so that they can ensure that minority-owned businesses are getting their fair share.
3: At the same time, we're increasing access by increasing oversight. I invite any inspector general in this program with jurisdiction over this program to closely look at these loans and report, publicly report on any issues they uncover inconsistent with what I'm saying today.
0: I guess all of this leaves the question of will these changes actually make a difference in terms of the number of people who need help right now and whether or not they'll be able to get that help?
4: It's a good question, Martine. I think this is largely a symbolic gesture at this point because the program has really already run its course in many ways. We've seen hundreds of billions of dollars already pushed out into the economy through this program. I think it will make a difference at the margin, but – The train has really left the station when you look at the overall impact that PPP has had and the groups of people that it helped and it didn't help. And the bigger question is what happens after March 31st? Are they going to extend this program or are they going to try to replace it with something different? That's a question that the Biden administration has not really answered yet.
0: Aaron Gregg is a business reporter for The Post. The 14-day exclusive window for small businesses to apply for PPP loans officially begins on Wednesday. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. If you are a fan of the show, leave a review on your podcast app. It helps other podcast listeners discover post reports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.